But again, today, we are here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what Easter is all about. He suffered and died on the cross. We, we know that. We know they placed his body in a tomb. They rolled a stone in front of that grave, but he did not stay there in that tomb. He rose from the dead, and that's what we're here to celebrate today. We're here to celebrate because Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. And I just would love for you to just imagine with me for a moment what it would have been like on that first Easter Sunday morning if you could have seen the empty tomb for yourself. What if you were one of the followers of Jesus that the Bible talks about? What if you actually heard him teach his famous message, the Sermon on the Mount? What if you witnessed some of his miracles like the feeding of the 5,000? I mean, free food will make a believer out of anybody, right? That's what that was about. What if you were there on Palm Sunday when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem to the loud shouts of the crowd, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. An incredible scene, loud, exciting, fun. You were there, you saw it. What about the Last Supper? You shared that last meal with him around the table. What if you saw him on Friday hanging on the cross? Come on, think about it for a minute. Because if you were a follower of Jesus, that's something that you would have never seen coming. You would have thought, this guy is going to be our king, but now he's dead. You would have felt like it's over. You would have felt like all hope is lost. You would have felt like you gave up everything to follow something that didn't happen. But what if you got to be one of the ones who got to take a peek into the empty tomb on that first Easter Sunday to see firsthand what death swallowed up in victory actually looks like? That would be amazing. And while it's impossible for us to go back and see it with our own eyes, we do get the benefit of seeing it through the eyes of others. There are actually four eyewitness accounts of the resurrection in uh, the Bible. They're recorded in the four books of the Bible that we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I want to read one of those eyewitness accounts of the resurrection today because I think it will help us imagine what it would have been like uh, to have been there and to have seen it for ourselves. In John chapter 20, verse 1, this is what the Bible says. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. Now let's stop right there for just a second because who, who, who's he talking about right there? The one that Jesus loved. He, he's ta- that's the guy who wrote the book, okay? That's John. He's talking about himself. In fact, six times in his gospel, this is how he refers to himself. The one that Jesus loved. He wants you to know Jesus loved me. He really did. He he loved me the most, okay? So she finds Peter and the disciple who Jesus loved, and she came running to them, and she said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loves, they started out for the tomb, and both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Seriously. When you write the book, you can put anything you want to in there. And John wants you to know, not only did Jesus love me, but I'm a fast runner. It's important for you to know that. It's integral to the story, actually. Just kidding. So he got there first, and he he bent over, and he looked in at the strips of linen that were lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb 
He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, again, just a reminder, he's the fastest, he also went inside. He saw and believed. John wants you to know a few things from his own firsthand account today. He wants you to know that Jesus loved him. He wants you to know that he was the fastest disciple. And he wants you to know that what he saw on that first Easter Sunday morning changed his life forever. He saw and believed. Based on what he saw, he had no choice but to believe. And I want to take a few minutes and explore this thought with you today of what do you see. When you look at Jesus and his death, his life, his resurrection, the empty tomb, when you look at all of that, what do you see and what will you do with what you see? What conclusions will you make and how will those conclusions impact your life? Based on this eyewitness account in the Gospel of John, there were three things that they saw and they made note of when they looked in the empty tomb on that first Easter Sunday. And here's the first one. They saw the linen cloths that Jesus had been wearing when they buried him. Number one, they saw his clothes. While the NIV that we read from today says strips of linen, other translations say cloths or, or clothes. And John wants you to know, when I peeked into the tomb, I didn't see a body there, but I did see his clothes. It's like if you were to look at a, a grave that had been disturbed and there's no body there of a loved one, you would see the, the suit that they were buried in, their Sunday best. That's what everybody wants to be buried in. I can tell you right now, when I die, I just want to be buried in a pair of Crocs. That's, that's the way I roll. Just give me my Crocs. You can keep the suit and tie. I'm good with it. I know some of y'all, you don't like that, but that's, that is your pastor in the flesh. John looked in the empty tomb. And he saw the clothes that were there. And this wrapping that was left behind in the empty tomb, the clothes that Jesus was wearing when they buried him, I think they remind us of why Jesus came to the earth in the first place. You remember the Christmas story? I know that's the wrong holiday, but it's my favorite, so I'm going to talk about it. You remember in the Christmas story, the, the account of Jesus' birth? The, the angels came and told the shepherds, go to Bethlehem, and you're going to find something there. And they told them what to look for. Do you remember what it was? In Luke chapter 12, verse 2, the angel said, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And it's interesting to me that wrapped in cloths was the first sign of Emmanuel. It was the first sign that they were to look for from the Messiah at the beginning of his life. And now here at the end of his, of his life, it was another sign that not, he's not wrapped in those cloths anymore. He's left them there in an empty tomb. It's almost to say mission complete. Like Jesus is saying, I came from heaven to earth and I wrapped myself in flesh in order to save lost humanity. And now my mission to bring salvation is complete. And here is the empty wrapping that I left behind to prove it. What we see when we look into the empty tomb, these clothes, they remind us that Jesus really was a human being just like you and me. And here's the thing, if he was fully human just like us, that means that he felt what we feel. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4.15 speaks to this. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. That means that we don't have a God who has no idea what it feels like to feel what you feel day in and day out of your life. See, that's the lie of religion. 
that God is in, in some distant place and that he is unconcerned with you and he doesn't care about what you care about and he doesn't care about what you're going through and nothing could be further from the truth. He knows about the struggles you face day in and day out because he also faced those struggles. He knows about the heartache and the pain that you've endured. He knows all about your weaknesses. You don't have to hide them from him. He knows about your worries and concerns. He knows about them because he experienced it too. He felt what it feels like to be fully human and the clothes he left behind in an empty grave prove it. He was wrapped in flesh. And I want you to consider with me just for a moment some of the things that we know Jesus felt and experienced while he was here on the earth. For example, we know he felt the hatred of others. Have you ever been hated by someone? Jesus was. He was hated by a group of people called the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of the day when Jesus came to the earth. And man, they hated him with a passion. And the more popular Jesus became among the people, the more they hated him. They hated him so much that they began to conspire against him daily, the Bible says, and they eventually killed him. Jesus felt hate too. He felt rejection. In fact, Isaiah the prophet, when he was writing prophetically in the Old Testament, about the kind of man Jesus would be when he was looking forward and seeing what was going to happen. He was saying, this is the kind of man Jesus is going to be. This is the kind of things he was going to endure as one of us. He included this line. He said, he was despised and rejected, a man familiar with pain. See, it wasn't just physical pain that Jesus became familiar with while he was with us here on the earth. It was emotional pain too. And there's almost no pain worse than the emotional pain of rejection. And if you don't believe me, just ask a 13-year-old boy, and he will tell you. You put yourself out there, you get shot down. It's okay, little buddy, hang in there. The things you wish you could go back and tell yourself, right? Just kidding, I'm working through it still. I'm, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm working through it. It's, it's going to be all right. But rejection is painful. And Jesus knew what it felt like to be rejected by the people that he loved the most. In fact, John chapter 1 verse 11 says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. They did not receive him because they chose to reject him. The Bible says that Jesus was rejected in his own hometown of Nazareth by his own friends and family, the people who should have believed in him the most. Have you ever had somebody not believing you that you thought for sure they believe in me, they hope the best for me, but you find out they don't really believe in me? Jesus experienced that when he went to Nazareth because they said, we don't believe you're the son of God. We don't believe you can heal the sick. We don't believe in your miracles. They wanted nothing to do with him, his own friends and family. You can read about it in the Bible. Jesus knew rejection. He also knew what it was to feel betrayal. He was betrayed by one of his best friends, one of the disciples, no less. When Judas betrayed him the night before he was to be crucified, it was a resounding reminder that Jesus was human just like us, and he felt what we feel. Even our darkest, most broken and hurtful moments, Jesus felt that. The Bible says on the night that he was arrested and handed over to Pilate to be tried, his disciples deserted him. That's the word that the Bible uses. They deserted him. They deserted him at the moment of his greatest need for a friend. Have you ever been there? The moment when you just need somebody to be there with you, they all deserted him. And Jesus faced all of that by himself. He's been there. 
He felt how cruel human beings can be towards one another. He felt the pains of injustice. When he was handed over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified, they beat him mercilessly. They whipped him almost to the point of death. They split his back open with that whip. They put a crown of thorns upon his head. They ripped out his beard with their bare hands. They hammered nails into his hands and feet. They hung him on a cross and left him to die. It was cruel and unusual punishment. It was the greatest cruelty imaginable. And Jesus felt that. He felt every part of that. And the thing about that cruelty that he felt and experienced that day is that it was unwarranted and it was undeserved because Jesus had done nothing wrong. He didn't deserve that kind of punishment. He had committed no sin. Make no mistake about it. Jesus did not go to the cross and die because of something that he did wrong. He went to the cross and died because of what you and I have done wrong. He went to the cross and died because because of what we've done, our sins, our mistakes and shortcomings. It was for our benefit that Jesus went to the cross. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, he wrapped himself in flesh and became like one of us so that we could become something better than what our birth told us we could become. He became something Better. He became one of us so that we could become something better than the hand that we were dealt by this cruel and unjust world. Something better than our sins and failures said that we deserve. Because he became flesh and dwelt among us, now we can become the righteousness of God. And it's only by his righteousness, friends, it's only by his grace that we have any hope for a better future than what our past has been able to produce for us. None of this would be possible without Jesus wearing the clothes of humanity, becoming like one of us, and the empty tomb with the clothes left behind, laying there, says, my mission for humanity is complete. When I look into the empty tomb, that's what I see. I see clothes left behind that remind me he was a man just like me, and if he was a man just like me, he felt what I feel. What do you see when you look at the empty tomb? John and Peter, they tell us what they saw On that first Easter Sunday morning, they saw the clothes he had been wearing. Number two, the Bible says they saw the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. They saw the burial cloth. Look again at how John describes this special cloth in John chapter 20, verse 7. It says, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, was not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Now, this cloth in the Greek, it's the word pseudorion, pseudorion, and it was placed over the face and around the head of Jesus after he died on the cross, and this special burial garment was a part of Jewish tradition in Jesus' day. We know that because it shows up at another funeral, the funeral of a man named Lazarus, who Jesus was a friend of, died. And Jesus went to Lazarus' house to raise him from the dead. It was the most powerful miracle he did before he himself was raised from the dead. And this is what it says in John chapter 11, verse 43. It says that Jesus looked at the tomb that Lazarus was in, and he called out in a loud voice. He said, Lazarus, come out. And verse 44 says, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, just like Jesus had been. And look at this. And there was a cloth around his face. That's the same Greek word right there, pseudorion. It was a special burial cloth. And John tells us that this cloth 
was left folded up and placed in a separate part of Jesus' tomb. Like it was intentionally separated from the rest of his grave clothes that were left behind. And I was thinking about that this week. Why did Jesus separate this cloth from the rest of the clothes? And why did he fold this one but not the other ones? You know, Carmen asked me that question all the time. Why did you fold this shirt but not this one? You know what I'm saying? It's an ongoing discussion we have. Like I said, Jesus was a man just like me. He feels what I felt. And here you go. I'm going to fold this one but not that one. No, I was thinking about that. And, 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 and this is the conclusion that I came to. I think that Jesus, what he was doing was he left a clear picture of the gospel in the empty tomb on that first Easter Sunday. Because while the clothes he left behind represent humanity, that he came from heaven to earth, that he was God in the flesh, and that his mission to save us was finished, the facial covering, the burial cloth that he left, representing his death and burial, it represents the fact that he didn't just come to live among us and wear our clothes and walk in our shoes and feel what we feel. He also, listen, he came to take our place in death. He came to become our sin. He was the sacrificial lamb slain from the foundations of the world. See, when Jesus died, it was no ordinary death because his death, according to the scriptures, was an atonement for our sin. It was in our place. And through that sacrifice, listen, he has conquered death, hell, and the grave for all time. And that's why I believe this burial cloth signifying burial and death was folded neatly as it was. I believe he did that on purpose because the death scene was a scene of chaos and confusion. It was a scene of blood and gore and gruesome agony. His blood spilled out of him and dripped from his body down the wooden beams of that cross landing on the ground below. And when his blood touched the soil of that hill called Calvary, the earth itself cried out to heaven for redemption from the curse of sin. The Bible says that the moment Jesus breathed his last breath, he cried out in a loud voice, it is finished. And at that moment, the ground shook. There was an earthquake, chaos, and confusion. It says in that moment that he breathed his, his last breath, the curtain in the temple representing the separation between God and man was torn in two from top to bottom. It was violently ripped, chaos and confusion. The Bible says that that death scene at the cross, it says that, that the sun refused to shine. The sun turned to darkness and refused to shine on the earth for hours. It was a scene of chaos and confusion. The disciples running away from the scene, scared for their life, afraid that they were going to be next. Chaos and confusion. The people who loved him, his mother, the people who really cared about him, weeping bitterly on that hillside, watching his lifeless body hang from that tree. It was a scene of chaos and confusion, agony and despair. But on that Easter Sunday morning, that burial cloth, the thing that represented chaos and confusion and the reality of death was folded neatly and placed in a place all its own. The scene of chaos and confusion was replaced by neatness, order, and peace. The Bible says that the corruptible put on incorruption, 
It says that in that moment, that's when death is swallowed up in victory. And that's what happened. All of the chaos, all of the confusion of the cross. Where did the agony and the pain of death and loss go? It was swallowed up in victory the moment he walked out of that grave. And to prove it, he left behind the cloth that represented all of that chaos and all of that confusion. His death and his burial, he left it neatly folded. All things are in order. All things are at perfect peace. I know your heart is still troubled, but I am alive forevermore. Jesus said this in John chapter 16, verse 33. I love this verse. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The empty tomb and the folded cloth is a reminder that in spite of the greatest trouble imaginable, Jesus went through it. But in spite of all of that trouble, he is an overcomer. And because he overcame, we can overcome too. Somehow in the midst of our own trouble and our own human suffering and our own lack of understanding in a world full of chaos and confusion that does not make sense most of the time. In the middle of all of that, somehow we can still have peace. How? Because Jesus himself is our peace. After Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples multiple times over a period of many days before he was taken up into heaven. In fact, the Bible says that he appeared to over 500 people alive after his resurrection. That's quite a list of eyewitnesses. John was one of those people that saw Jesus multiple times after the resurrection. He, did, he didn't just see an empty tomb and go about his day. He saw Jesus again and again and again. And then he saw him again later in life. This time, not in a physical form, but this time in a vision, while he was exiled on the island of Patmos. And this is his account of that scene in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Listen, Jesus really was dead and buried. It wasn't just a bad dream. Everything you saw, all the chaos and the confusion of Friday really happened, but so did all the power and peace of Easter Sunday morning. He rose from the dead, folded up the cloth, and walked out of that grave alive forevermore. And listen, the fact that he's still holding the keys of death in his hands, it means that there's a resurrection waiting on you and me as well for everyone who comes after him, who puts their faith in him, who chooses to believe in him. The grave isn't going to hold your body either on the last trumpet sound you're going to come up out of that grave amen that's what it's all about Peter and John they looked into the tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning they saw the clothes he had been wearing left behind they saw the burial cloth that had been wrapped around his face folded neatly and here's the third thing when they looked into that tomb they saw a reason to believe They saw a reason to believe. Look at it again in verse 8. The Bible says, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. What John saw when he looked into that tomb, it gave him a reason to put his faith and hope in Jesus Christ and believe. He believed because he saw himself. He saw it. He saw an empty grave. Yeah, there were clothes in there. He saw them. Yeah, there was a folded up cloth. He saw that too. 
But John couldn't deny what his own eyes told him. And what his own eyes told him is there is no body in this grave. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And that fact, the fact of the resurrection, it gives us a reason to believe as well. To put our faith in Jesus. Listen, not in just what he did, but who he is. Because if he did indeed rise from the dead, as the scriptures proclaim, then he must be our Savior and Lord. It must be true that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that there is no other way to God the Father except through him. See, Paul had it right when he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. He said, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, if he had stayed buried in that tomb, then nothing he said or did would have any lasting value for you today. Why preach this gospel? Why proclaim his life? Why proclaim his death or his, his power, what he did while he was on the earth? The man is dead. His claims came to nothing. He's dead and gone. But because he rose from the dead, everything he said now has eternal value and significance for every person for all time. Because he rose from the dead, his claims that he is the Son of God is absolutely proven to be true. Because he arose, his claim that he came from heaven to earth to save us from our sins is proven to be true. Because he arose, his claim that you can be healed and set free in this life. Listen to me, that you don't have to live every one of your days struggling with sickness and death and addiction and things that you're bound up in. The fact that you can be set free is absolutely true because we have a risen Savior that proves it's true. Because he arose, it's proven true that your past is not greater than your future. That you do have hope for tomorrow. Because he arose, his claim that you can have everlasting life and live in heaven with him forever is absolutely true. It's all because of the resurrection. Listen, this is the one single event that changes everything for all time. Jesus saw the empty tomb and believed. Here's my question for you today. What do you see? And what will you do with what you see? I want the band to come up and begin to play softly as we get ready to close today. But I want to point out one more interesting thing in the text before we, before we close. Verse 8 says, John saw and believed. It's very simple. Saw the, the past tense of the word to see. He saw and believed. It's interesting to me how many times that word saw shows up in the text. You see it in the first part of the story where it says that Mary saw the stone had been rolled away. You see it again where Peter saw the linen clothes that were laying there. He saw the face covering folded up neatly. But in verse 8, when the scripture says that John saw and believed, this is really interesting. The Greek word for saw right there is different than the other times it's used in this chapter. It's a different word. And that tells me that John wants us to know that he saw something in that moment that his eyes alone could not show him because he saw something with his heart. He saw something through eyes of faith. He didn't just see Jesus the man gone from this grave. He saw Jesus the Son of God proven to be true. He saw everything he did, everything he said. It's all true. He saw and believed. 
I want you to stand with me all across the room today. Let's stand together. And let me ask you again, what will you do with what you see today? What do you see and what are you going to do with it? Jesus said something super powerful in John chapter 11, verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asked the people standing there this question. He says, do you believe this? This is Jesus talking. Do you believe this? And I get the sense and the feeling that he's asking us the same question in this room today. Do you believe I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe in me? I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes all across the room. And Please, in this moment, nobody looking around. This is just a private moment between you and God. And I want to ask you that question. Do you believe this? What do you see? What conclusions do you draw from the gospel story? And what are you going to do with it? Do you believe? The Bible tells us how to believe. It says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. The scripture goes on and it says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I love that part because it means that there is no other qualifier. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's nothing else you have to do other than just believe. That's it. You just believe in him. Then he does the rest of the work in our hearts. And if you're here to say, if you're hearing, you would say today, I've never really done that before. I don't know that I've ever put my faith and belief in Jesus, but I want to. I want to believe in him today. I want to become a believer. I want to see with eyes of faith today. If that's you, will you just slip up your hand right where you are? I just want to pray for you today. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out or do anything weird like that. I just want to see who I'm praying for today. Will you just lift up your hand right where you are? I want to believe. I want to believe. I want to believe. Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. Let me ask you a second question today with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you would say, Brian, I, I know that I have believed before, but the truth is I've kind of walked away from this faith thing and I haven't been living my life by faith. And I want to come home to Jesus today. I want to come home to faith in God again. If that's you, if you would say that, would you just lift up your hand right where you are? I want to pray for you as well. I want to come home to faith today. I want to come home to Jesus. I want to make things right today. Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down all across the room with your eyes, ba- your, your eyes closed and your heads bowed. I want to invite everybody in this room right now to repeat this prayer after me. And this is what I believe. If you raised your hand, or even if you didn't raise your hand, but you know you needed to, if you'll say this prayer out of your mouth, something miraculous is going to happen in you today. The Lord's going to meet you where you are, and he's going to save you. Or he's going to bring you back home. That's the wonderful thing about grace. You can never outrun it. It, it. The moment you're ready to come back to grace, he's right there ready with open arms. 
That's what's so great about Jesus. It's not condemnation and judgment and fear. It's grace and mercy and love. So I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Everybody in the room. And if you need to say it by faith today, say it in faith and believe that Jesus is transforming your heart. Come on, repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I see you with my heart. I recognize who you are. That you are the Son of God. That you came from heaven, died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose from the dead. And today I put my trust in you. Forgive me of my sins. Give me eternal life. Make me a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's rejoice today. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise, God. Hallelujah. Lord, we give you praise for the work of the cross. We give you praise for the work of salvation. We give you praise because you did not stay buried in a tomb. You are alive forevermore. And because you're alive, we are alive as well. And we thank you in Jesus' name. We give you praise. I want us to close out this service today by worshiping with the band. One more time. Come on, let's sing praise to God. Let's worship him today.